Uh, my name is Blake. If we've never met before, I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock, and we're continuing in this series on deconstruction and how we can do that well. We're not in a place where we think you can't break down things to help understand things more. We actually would say, yeah, you can do that, but there's a way to do that well. And so if you're here with us for the first time today, first of all, we want to welcome you and say uh, we're glad that you're here today, but we, we're jumping in right in the middle of this series and I really do feel like um, this morning is, it's just something that is going to hit all of us. I, I really believe that. And so uh, I'm going to pray before we get started this morning. And uh, I also just want to say a special prayer to all of, for all of our teachers and all of our kids who are going back to school, right? School started this week. And so we need to lift up our students. We need to lift up our teachers and administrators and principals and parents in this season. So will you join me in praying uh, this morning? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word in your truth, that it is a guiding light to our life. God, thank you for the gift of the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. And so God, today, I ask uh, that our minds are attentive and our hearts receive the word of truth today. Lord, would you anoint me for the task of preaching and teaching your word, that today these would be your words and not mine. And Lord, that we would all be blessed uh, this morning, having heard and dwelled in your presence together. God, I ask for your favor this morning. We love you. We thank you in Christ's name. And everyone said? All right. So I'm going to start off with a story. The first line in it is tough to say. But I stole. When I was five years old, I was a thief. I went to my neighbor's house. And on his, in his playroom, on one of the shelves, was a little red F-14 Tomcat. A little plane. And I wanted it. And I wanted it bad. So I just walked over and I deboed that thing. I took it, put it in my pocket, and I left quickly. I was like, I got to go. My mom's calling me. I got to get out of here. So I left. I went home. A few days later, my buddy comes over, comes to my room, and there it is, the little red airplane sitting on a shelf. He's perusing my room. He says, hey, what's that? I was like, what's what, huh? You know, like when you get in trouble, all of a sudden you're deaf and blind. You're like, I, huh? Can't see anything. You can't hear anything. You freak out. I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, oh, that airplane. I have one just like that. And I was like, you had one just like that. No, I was like, um, oh, man, okay, cool. And he's like, yeah, I can't find it. And I was like, in my mind, I, I should have said, you, but you should probably take better care of your stuff. But I didn't say that. I just said, oh, weird. That's crazy. Okay. I changed the subject quickly. But as soon as that moment happened, shame began to enter in my life, right? I, I was ashamed of what I had done. Now I'm, now I'm a thief and a liar, right? And so like my life is spiraling out of control at five years old quickly. And so I was like, oh, so like every time I would look at that plane on the shelf, it was a reminder of the past that I didn't so enjoy anymore. And in fact, getting this airplane in a way that like I shouldn't have ruined the plane for me. And so finally, like this shame just kept me. I mean, I, I, I remember like I would wake up, I was worried, I was anxious. Like I, I, you know, you're worried when you're a kid on the weirdest things. I'm like, what if they call the police? And I'm like, I don't know if the police are coming for the red airplane, but they might. And so finally one day, I, I finally moved from shame uh, into guilt and that guilt moved me to action. So I grabbed the plane and I walked over 
to my friend's house, who, by the way, I had been avoiding for days. He'd call me, hey, you want to come hang out? Can't, super busy. Hey, wanna, what if I come over and hang out at your house? Nah, not a good time, right? The house is a mess, right? Like I, I just was avoiding and distancing myself because I felt so bad. I felt like I had to leave. I had to leave the relationship. And so finally I was like, yeah, this isn't worth it. So I grabbed the plane. I went over to my friend's house and I said, listen, I pulled the plane out of my pocket and I said, this is your plane. I stole it. And he was like, what? And I was like, yeah, I stole it. And he, I was like, I just really wanted it really bad. And I remember what the, he said to me. He, he's like, oh, all right, man, no big deal. You could have had it if you wanted it. All you had to do was ask. And I was like, okay, so we're good. He's like, yeah, actually, you know what? You can keep it. And I said, so I kept the plane and, and our relationship moved forward. But what I realized as I even think about this story now is shame has a way of distancing us in our lives. And I don't know about you, but do you ever struggle with your past in this room? Like, is your past something like an unpleasant memory for a lot of us? That, that it's just something that you struggle with and you, you deal with deep shame over what you did or what was done to you. And that shame has led you in maybe some places in your life where you feel like you, you, you can't move forward and you have to distance yourself from other people. I really think when we talk about deconstruction, there's these moments for some of us where the shame that we have from our past makes us feel like we can't be here anymore. It makes us feel like, you know, like I, I know all of this stuff that people say about who God is and how much God loves us and all of this, but I don't really know if that's for me. You don't know what I've done. And what happens is, is like, you kind of become judge and jury over your own life. And some of us in this room, like you won't, you won't be willing to succeed or when you start to succeed in life, you'll pull back because you're like, you know what? I don't deserve this. It's like you have a fear of success. You have a fear of moving forward or you get into relationships and all of these things. And this shame enters into your life and it starts to separate you from everything else. Well, that's exactly what is happening to the people in, in this passage that we're going to study today, that people have begun to separate from the body of believers because shame has entered their life. They feel deep regret for maybe their lack of faith or maybe that, that, that they're struggling or that they would have abandoned or all of these things, and shame begins to enter their life. And John is really concerned about shame because shame leads to nothing good. Shame is a prison. And so today, what I want us to talk about is the difference between guilt and shame. And I want us to see how much greater God is than we are to ourselves. And so if you have a Bible with you today, we're going to open up and we're going to be in 1 John, the last half of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. But as we get there and you move there in your Bible, I just want to say this. A lot of us can use shame that we feel, and because we don't quite know how to deal with the shame of our own life, we begin to start to judge the behaviors of other people around us. And because we feel this intense shame, we're like, I got to get out of here, but we can't tell people, hey, the reason I got to get out of here is because I've done some really bad stuff in my life. So what we do is we look at the behavior of other people and say, oh, the reason that I'm leaving is because of your behavior. 
And I think for some of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, we're hard on others because we're honestly hard on ourselves, but we don't want to admit it. And so shame has this this way of of moving us in our life to places we're not meant to be. Listen to what Brene Brown said about guilt and shame. She said, guilt is just as powerful as shame, but its influence is positive. I know a lot of us in this room, you hear guilt and you're like, no, 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 that's not good. What we mean here is conviction. Guilt can be conviction, right? Like, man, I should not have done that. And so now I need to move from this to something better. But this is what she says. While shame is destructive, shame erodes our courage and fuels our disengagement. Shame will take us into this place in where we have to separate ourselves from others. And then we will begin when you're alone because we're not meant to live with shame. Like we, humanity was not designed to live with shame. And so what happens is, is for some of us is the weight of the shame that we have in our own life is so great that we will start to deconstruct our belief system so that we can get away from the shame if we just don't think that that's bad anymore. Oh, that's not bad. So now I don't feel guilty. The reality is this. You can try to change the system, but you're still going to live with the shame in your heart when it's not dealt with properly. Why? Because the law of God is written on every human heart in the world. And so the question isn't, how do I get away from it? The question is, is how do we deal with it well? How do we deal with our past? How do we deal with regret? How do we deal with shame in this room that doesn't destroy us and destroy others, but can actually move us forward? that can actually move us into life that is abundant in moving towards God and not keeping us condemned. Feeling guilt when we sin is good and godly and healthy response because when we feel guilt, and let's use the word conviction, conviction should run and lead us to God. Like when we feel conviction, conviction for us should be a wind in our back pushing us towards God. Shame is not a wind. It is a press. Conviction is, is a wind pushing you forward towards something new. Shame is condemnation, which pushes you down. It p- just pushes you into the ground. And some of us in this room feel this way. I'm talking about the kind of shame that you wake up at 3 a.m. thinking about it. I'm talking about the kind of shame that you have dreams about. And they're not dreams, they're nightmares. I'm talking about the kinds of things that have so eroded your life that it now controls you. That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. And the reality is, is for us that are living in shame, by the way, I lived in shame for a very long time in my life. You feel this pressing in this prison and and it is nothing that is good. Shame, when we sin, is bad and destructive It's response that compels us to run from God for fear of his disdain or contempt. I wonder for how many of us in this room, you identify with that. Like I am avoiding God because I have such shame in my life. And I'm afraid that if I talk to him or I'm around people that are like him, I will feel such disdain and contempt in my life and I can't handle that. 
And so church and belief systems and Christianity and Jesus and God, all of that becomes muddled into this thing. And because you feel like I can't approach him, what you say is I'm going to need to start to reimagine my belief system so I can get out of this. And what I found is people who live in shame are very self-critical. And when you're self-critical, you're also critical of others. I have found people who really embrace forgiveness and have received forgiveness are very quick to forgive and embrace others. And let me give you just one final definition as we look at what is happening. And I think this will give us a good understanding. Lewis Smeads says this, we feel guilty for what we do. We feel conviction for what we do. We feel shame for who we are. So guilt Conviction is this, I am not identified with my actions. Like who I am and what I do are different things. Some of us can identify with this, right? Like, does anyone in here do things that you don't really want to do, but you've identified with the fact that I am not the sum total of my mistakes in my life? Or are we the kind of people in this room that when I say your name and I asked you what you were, you wouldn't answer with a name. You'd say, I'm a liar. I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm all of these things. And what you do is you identify with your mistakes and not who God made you to be. Now, let me just tell you why this is happening so rampantly in our culture. Because we live in a shame culture. We live currently in a condemnation culture. And you're like, really? Yes, it's called cancel culture. I mean, what is at the basis of cancel culture? I'm going to shame you out of here. Right? And so all of us live a little bit in this like kind of contention, like, I don't want to be canceled. What are you saying? I don't want to be shamed. I I don't want to sense this and feel this and and do all of these things. And so some of us are deconstructing. Some of us just keep our mouths shut. Some of us just lie low. Some of us suffer in silence. Some of us kill our relationships. Some of us try to forget through drink or drug or sex or any other addiction. We just try to forget about these things. And God doesn't want any of that. God wants to free us. God wants to heal us. God wants to move us towards him. And today what we're going to see in the scriptures is that John is going to give us these these verses and these ideas of this. God is greater than you. And he's also greater than everything you've ever done. And there's freedom in Christ who died for you, not at your best, but at your worst. And so I want us to understand in this moment what's going on. And John's going to relate all of this as it comes out to loving others. John's going to say, hey, one of the greatest arguments or evidences for being a Christian and a person who belongs to Jesus is how we love one another. And when we fail to love one another, what we're actually doing is loving ourselves. And and I don't know about you, but a lot of the times that shame enters our life is not when we loved others really well. Have you noticed that? Shame does not really enter the scenario of our mind and our life when we did a really great job loving other people. What happens is, is we have discussed for ourselves Because we loved ourselves at the expense of others. And that's where the shame comes in. That's where the guilt and this shame comes in and begins to own us. Because here's the reality. 
first point of the day is this. Shame steals. It steals joy. It steals peace. It steals life. It steals relationships. It steals everything. Shame for the Christian believer has no place in our life, yet so many of us are living in it right now. And we feel this, this deep need to get out of it. Like when you feel pressed down, you feel like, I got to get out of here, right? I got to move out of this. I got to get out of the way. And so we will deconstruct or we will do all of these things. And God's going to tell you, don't leave, don't run. Welcome home. I'm here to heal you. I know everything about you. And I still love you. And so what happens is, is we have to understand, for some of us, how many of us know this? The worst voice in the world is the voice inside your head. Like, is that true for anybody else in here other than me? Because I'm the meanest to me. Right? Sometimes the mirror is not a good friend. I look in there, I'm like, you got no hair. You're graying up. You got them old wrinkles. What's going on? I mean, your forehead looks like the Sahara Desert. What's happening to you? Right? Like, I'm mean to me. I'm ashamed of me. I think about those moments where I was mean and I love myself at the expense of other people. And it's just so disappointing. And here's what I've had to learn to do. And this is what I want to help us with this morning. Shame steals because that's exactly what the enemy does. The enemy uses shame in your life to keep you right where you are. Because shame is another word that we use in Christianity called condemnation. Shame condemns. It pushes you down. It presses you in. And that's exactly the tactic of the enemy. Let me just tell you something. If anything in your life is playing the rewind button of the past of your life and bringing it before you, that's not from God. God doesn't play the rewind of all your mistakes all the time. God's not in the business of going, hey, everything that I've removed from you and healed from you and your sin is removed as far as the east is from the west from you, I'm going to replay that in your life all the time. Why? Because God is not about condemnation. God is about conviction and moving us forward and moving us towards him. And so here's the reality. Are you feeling convicted or are you feeling condemned? Are you feeling guilt? I need to stop this and I need to move forward. Guilt moves us to action. Or are you feeling shame? I'll never get through this. This will always be my story. I will never get over this. I'm stuck here forever. So let me ask you, what voice are you listening to and choosing to align your mind with today? Is it conviction? Man, I've done some things, but you know what? There's an opportunity for me to move forward. There's an opportunity for me to repent. There's an opportunity for me to turn from this and turn towards God. Or is it, I'm always going to be this. And there's no hope for me. And what happens for some of us in this room is we get so, so overwhelmed with this feeling that we can never move forward. So we just kind of eject we're out of here. We, we can't be a part of this. And there's some of us that believe the lie, you're going to hear this and be shocked, that we're unique. And that God's love is for everybody but us. And somehow in all of God's creation, 
all of these promises, all of this peace, all of this joy is for everybody else but for me. That's one of the biggest lies I think that people believe and why they leave so quickly. And so here's the reality. First John chapter 3, starting in verse 19, says this. This is how we know, everyone say no, that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Do you hear what John is saying? This is how we can know, this is how we can know that we are God's children and that you and I can live at what? Rest. What's another word for rest? Peace. In God's presence. This is how we can know. And what John is saying is, by the way that we love other people, the previous verse, by the way that we love other people is evidence that we know God and that God knows us. And this is how we can be at rest in God's presence because we know that we belong to God and that God loves us. But how many of us know sometimes that knowledge of knowing that you're in the presence of God can be stolen very quickly? Because that's exactly what the enemy is. He's a deceiver. And so he wants to pull you away from the truth. And so you'll hear things like, is that really true? But what about when you did fill in the blank? What about when you walked down here? What about when this happened? Are you sure? And how many of us know that sometimes our hearts are the hardest thing for us to get through and it's the biggest judge in our life? Look at what the Bible says in verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, here's another word. If our hearts shame us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. John is making a beautiful statement here that that is so eye-opening for the Christian and the believer who is dealing with shame and dealing with condemnation in their life. And John says this, "You, you and I can know without a shadow of a doubt that we belong to God when we love God and we love others. And it's evidenced in our life. And he's going to give us a few other evidences in this passage. But he says this, even when your heart condemns you, Even if your heart says, you're not saved, you're not these things, you're awful, you're terrible, you're no good, God is greater than our hearts. And then he goes this, he goes, and God knows more than our hearts. God knows everything. And so what does that mean for you and I in this room? What is one of the biggest parts of beauty of all of this in this moment is that God died for you at your worst, not your best. Because when you got saved, God didn't know everything that happened up until that day. God knows the whole story of your life. God knows everything about you. He knows you better than you. He sees your heart. He knows what's going on. That means that even as Christians, it doesn't make our actions excusable. But there's not condemnation for us who are in Christ. And so whatever the worst thing that you can think about yourself right now in this room, whatever that thing is, God knows it and is greater than it. And so there's nothing 
nothing that can separate us in this moment. In fact, listen to these words of assurance that nothing can remove us from this love. And there's no action that we can produce in our life that can separate us from God's love. Listen to Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced, this is Paul, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God when we have been saved by him. So when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart because there's nothing that can drive a wedge between you and God. You can live as if God is not there, but God has not stopped loving you. Now look at what Paul says earlier in this same chapter, how beautiful this is. Some of you may need to go home today and read Romans chapter 8. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, because of the great work that Jesus has done in our life, how he has saved us and rescued us and redeemed us, Paul says this, therefore, there is now what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. There's no condemnation for those who have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. None. And so the condemnation that you are sensing is not coming from God. Conviction does, absolutely, 100%. Hey, we got to move. We can't keep living like this. We need to move forward. But that feeling of condemnation, that feeling of shame, that feeling of being pressed down is not from God. But it's from the enemy. And so, how are you living today? Look, if we're all honest in this room, can we just all be honest for a second? No one in here has lived a perfect life. No one. That's why Jesus had to show up because we can't. And so here's the deal. If you're in this room and you feel so alone and you feel like this sermon is just for me, Pastor Blake must know something about my life. I know nothing about your life. But I know all of us in this room have something that's happened in our life. I know that all of us in this room have moments that we regret in the way that we acted. I know that many of us have moments in our life where things happen to us that we have deep shame over of in our life. And this is what God says to you and I. For you, there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ our Lord. And there's nothing on this earth or in the universe beyond or in the metaphysical world that can separate you from God. There is nothing in all of creation that is so great that could drive a wedge between you and God. And this is how you and I can step into his presence in peace. And say, in your presence, Lord, there is no condemnation. I have nothing to fear. I am just in awe of who you are. Your majesty is so incredible and so beautiful that I am with you. I am am near you and you are working in my life. Peace comes when we really begin to see ourselves the way that God sees us. What language do you use in your mind? Is it language of life or is it language of death? 
Paul says, and others in the New Testament say, you better be really careful about what you say because it has the power of life and the power of death over people, over yourselves. And so let me just ask like all of us in this room, do you speak life over yourself or death over yourself? You have to speak life over yourself. That's who you are, created in Christ Jesus. You are a new creation, born new, made alive in Jesus Christ spiritually. You are alive. And we have to speak this life over us because let me just tell you something. The enemy never speaks life. He only speaks death. That's his language. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. You're wrong. You're awful. You're filthy. You're unforgiven. No one's going to love you. Everybody hates you. That is the language of the enemy. What language are you speaking? We wonder why in this room, like, why don't I have the fulfillment in the joy of the Christian life? Are you speaking life or death? And look at the culture and look at the things that you look at and look at all of the things that we are fed every day. Is it a culture of life or death? Watch the news for 10 seconds. This fire, this flood, now we have no energy. Oh yeah, get an electric car, but don't because it's gonna destroy the grid. And oh, don't you know we have so much debt and don't you know these other countries are building these weapons and then there may be UFOs. We may all die. Ah, and you're freaked out. <laughs> ah! And then the next commercial's like, buy your survival bunker. And you're like, okay. I'm in. I was going to buy an RV, but now I got a survival bunker in the middle of Idaho. I don't know how I'm ever going to get to it if things go bad, but at least I got it. It's a language of death. Because what does the language of death do to you and I? It makes you desperate. And when you're desperate, what do you do? Most of us, when we are desperate, go into survival mode. And survival mode generally move us, moves us into sin mode. And so what does the enemy do? I'm going to freak you out until all you do is sin. And then my job is done. And it's easy because guess what? Now you're snared. Because when you're caught in condemnation... It's an endless pit. It only gets deeper. There is no stop to the pit. Why? Because the enemy, if he can't keep, let me just give you guys the truth. If God, if the enemy cannot keep you from knowing God, he definitely wants to keep you from enjoying God. Why? Because there's nothing more dangerous to the kingdom of darkness than the joy of a Christian in the Lord. There's nothing more dangerous this is real to you. This has changed your life. I literally had a lady come in here today. She listened to the message last night. God drove her to her knees. She was bawling and crying. Her teenage son came into the house and goes, mom, are you okay? She's bawling. She's like, I have to ask for forgiveness. I had to do all these things. And she looked at me. She said, what do I say to my son? And I say, that's the power of God in your life. Why? Because God moved her so much in her joy, like that, yes, she knew she needed to ask for forgiveness, but she also knew that forgiveness was there. And mourning became joy so quickly. What a better testimony to the power of God in your life than what was meant for death can now be life. And so the question for you and I is do you want peace? Do you want peace? What language do you speak? 
How do you speak to yourself? How do you speak to others? Because not only do we need peace, but now we can have confidence before God. And how many of us need some of that? How many of us need to boldly enter the throne room of God? Not entitled, but knowing who we are speaking to and knowing to who we speak to and how he feels about us can give us confidence in this life. Look at what the Bible says here in verse 21. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. We can speak to him. We can have a relationship with him because remember what shame does is it separates us, not just from these relationships, but from this relationship. How many of us are living in shame and you feel so bad about what you've done? You're like, I could never tell God about it. Well, according to these verses, God knows everything and does not condemn you. It's just we've been living a lie. We've been living in this language of death. And it says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him everything we, anything we ask. Does this mean if like we're like, oh God, I, I wish you would just like drop a bomb on these people. No, no, no. Because what this means is, is we have confidence before God because we're in relationship with God. And because God is the one who is moving and shaping and molding our heart, then we pray according to the will of God. So whatever we pray according to the will of God will be ours. It will happen. And so what, what goes on in this moment is he says, we ask and he gives because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command. Two, ready? Very simple. Let's make, this is the Cliff Notes version of Christianity. To believe in the name of the son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. Love God, love people. That's, guys, like Christianity can get super simple. What do you need to do? Well, you don't need to do anything. God does everything, but you need to receive that gift in faith. And once you receive that gift in faith, now because God has so transformed us out of the transforming power of God, now we love others. Out of the overflow, right? This is, this is it. Like, this is simple. Christianity. Love God, love people. Guys, like th this is, it, it's easy, but man, is it hard. Is it not sometimes? I had some, I had a problem loving people today. Can I just be honest with you? I got so frustrated this morning. All the ACs were out. Another AC was out. The guys who brought the slides didn't bring like a, a hose. I'm like, what? you're installing a water slide? And they're like, yeah. Did you bring a hose? Nah, man. <laughs> what? I'm like, it's seven in the morning. I'm like, what time is Ace open? I got to go there. <laughs> I, had a, can I, I had a hard time loving. <laughs> I was like, dear Lord Jesus. <sighs> we love God. We love people. And not when it's easy, when it's hard. We do what pleases him. And this is what he says, verse 24. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him. And he in them. There is no separation. And this is how we know that he lives in us. Here is a beautiful promise. We know it by the spirit he gave us. That the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer is a sign of confidence that we belong to God. That we are his children. And so let me ask us, this is in this room, like, 
How do we know what is going on? How do we see this? How do we, how do we know and have this confidence? Well, one, we will love God and we will love others. We will keep God's commands, have faith in Jesus and to love one another and to move forward. But then what's this? It's called the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Anyone in here ever heard of that? The sealing of the Holy Spirit? Let me give you the verse where we know this. Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a, say it, seal. The promised Holy Spirit. You know what the word seal in the New Testament, it communicates really like four things. It's this, ownership, protection, and validation of relationships. That's what a seal means. Ownership, protection, and validation. So here's what this means for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. Even when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And the evidence of God working in our life is the way that we love God and we love others. We obey his commands. But then there's a promise for you and I that you're sealed. You are sealed with the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it represents ownership, protection, and relationship. And here's the beautiful thing about that. What God seals, nothing can unseal. I know that a lot of us, can I just be honest with you in here? We're going to get into some theology. This might ruffle your feathers, but that's okay. Some of us in here feel and believe that when we sin, we can lose our salvation. Do not think your sin is so powerful. You did not save yourself in the first place. So what makes you think you can return yourself? The Bible here already says that when your heart condemns you, Jesus does not. And he knows everything. There is nothing that can cause you in this place to lose your salvation because it was never a work of you. It was a work of God. And what God does, he does perfectly. And so if you're in this room, come on, let's give God some praise. And so if you're in this room and you have believed and confessed, and I mean with your mind and your heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, there is nothing according to Romans that can separate you from God's love nor return your salvation because it is a work of the almighty and what the almighty does is perfect. And so you are signed, sealed, delivered forever. And so for you and I in this room, when our heart condemns us, when this language of death comes into your life, you go, that's not my destiny. That's not who I am. That's not who I was purchased by. That's not who rescued me and redeemed me. The language he uses, beloved and child and life. Have you ever felt so bad that you felt like you had to leave? That shame came into your life so much that said, there's no place for you here anymore. There's no hope for you anymore. You've messed up too much. It's the greatest lie the enemy has ever told us because I really do believe that there are sons and daughters of God who are living as orphans that are not. 
There's people online right now listening. They feel like they can't come back to church. They can't come back to this thing. And you're watching alone because you feel like you can't come back. And that's the biggest lie you've ever believed. There's a place for you because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And you belong to the family of God. So come be a part of the family. You belong here. And if you're in this room, you're like, man, I'm just trying this out for the first time. I'm so glad you came home. And if it's not at Bedrock, there's a lot of homes around here. Be a part of one of them. And so John's going to progress and say this. Isn't this good news? I mean, isn't this just like, praise be to God. John says this. Because what happens is when we feel shame, we feel separation, we we have to move out, we, we feel so bad, we have to leave. That we then go, you know what? I need to find some people that feel like me. And, and those people, I need, I need them to identify with my feelings. And then once they identify with my feelings, then, then they'll lead me in the new truth, correct? This is what we would call false prophets or false teachers. And John immediately goes from here to, hey, be aware that there are some false teachers coming. And when you are living in shame, you are susceptible to them. John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 to 4, it says this, Dear friends, notice how he uses that language. Dear friends, like, hey, you're part of the family. Dear friends, I love you. I know that you're struggling. I know that you're dealing with all of this. I'm here. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. What does that mean? It means that not every spiritual experience is a divine experience. And I have a lot of people talking about all the spiritual experiences they have. But when I hear about the spiritual experience, I'm like, I don't think that's God. I think that's somebody else. I think that's something else. And what goes on here is is we can begin to be deceived because when we lose kind of our ability to follow Christ and we're deconstructing all of these things, now we become spiritual. I'm just spiritual. What does that mean? I don't know. Whatever kind of gives me the goosebumps, I'm in. Really? Man, you know, because I just am alone. And when you're alone, you're susceptible. Verse 2, this is how we can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Why is he saying that here? Because everyone's telling them that there's no way that Jesus could have been the son of God because God couldn't take on flesh because flesh is evil. So how could Jesus pay for your sins? But let me tell you the new way. Right? So John says, anybody who doesn't confess that Jesus came in flesh and is the son of God is not from God. Anyone who doesn't identify and, and, and work with and walk with Jesus, they're not from God. Verse 3, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now already in the world. Think about the modern day ideologies that are going on. Think about what's going on, the spirit of the, the, the day, the spirit of the era. But then he says this, you dear children are from God and have overcome them. Why? Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And that same spirit that now indwells you and has sealed you now protects you and overcomes the world. 
And you know that we have a Trinitarian enemy and you know we have a Trinitarian response. Right? You got Satan who uses the world to tempt the flesh. You have God who is greater than Satan. Jesus overcame the world and the spirit overcomes the flesh. You have a Trinitarian answer to your greatest enemies in this world, and it's in Jesus Christ. But man, some of us won't plug in because we separate from God because we have this shame in our life. And so here's the deal, church. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and have confessed him with your mouth and believed in your heart, whatever you're struggling with right now, it is forgiven. And not because I said so, but because he says so. And so whatever it is that is dominating your life, whatever it is is that's causing you to struggle right now in your life, whatever it is is that is separating you and moving you and causing you to run from God rather than to God, that thing was nailed to a tree. And it was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is done It is gone. And it's no longer God does not look at you and see your mistakes. God looks at you and sees his son. And even the Bible tells us that while we are sinning, while we are even rebelling, even even as Christians and we're struggling, that Jesus is testifying on your behalf to the Father right now in the throne of heaven. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And the crazy thing about it is there's nothing that you can do to change that. And so we believe in this like, it's audacious. It's like, it's unbelievable that God would be so good to his creation when his creation was so bad to him. But that's the difference between our love and his love. And so here's what we're gonna do this morning as we finish up. We are going to celebrate in this place communion because it is in communion that we remember that we were rescued in him, that our sin and the judgment of it was paid for and we are forgiven and washed by the blood. And so let me just say this as we're, they're bringing communion, I think, um, Danielle is, yep, okay, um, I need one too, please, um, is this, you don't need to judge yourself. Your sin was already judged. It was dealt with. That's what the breaking of the bread means. It says his body was broken for the transgression of sin, for the judgment, that every judgment for all sin for all time was laid upon the son's shoulders. And so a lot of us in this room are in the business of judging ourselves and making sure that we pay the punishment for what we've done. You do not need to do that. It was already paid for. It has already been dealt with. Daniel, can I grab one? Thank you. And so what happens for you and I as we're we're passing around the elements is this. Some of you, because of the shame that you have, will not allow yourselves to fully enjoy the Lord because you feel like there's still more to pay for. And there's not. He fully, completely paid for it. And God's wrath towards sin was poured out on him. Why? Because he can handle it. And he handled it at Calvary. 
And so some of us in this room, we need to let shame go and live, yes, in conviction and move forward and grow towards Christ. But he's paid for it. And so the Bible says as we partake of communion that this is a sacred moment. There's really only two ordinances that Jesus tells us to do as a church after he left. Baptism and communion. And communion is this place where we celebrate and remember the beauty of what Jesus did for us on the night before his death. But the Bible gives us a clear um, warning about this, that this, this is to be done reverentially. And so listen to these words as Paul says them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then I'm going to give us all a few moments to just reflect on the Lord. It says this, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, verse 27. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Jesus says this is important. And so here's the reality of what I'm going to ask us to do. They're going to play a little music so it's not so awkward. It's, this is just between you and God now. This is a moment for you to confess whatever you need to confess. And it's not that God doesn't know it, but confession is part of the beginning of the healing process. Get it out. And whether it's known or unknown, Come before the Lord. Make sure things are right between you and the Lord. And if you're in this room and you have a hard time with someone around you or someone in your vicinity, or, or maybe you just need to, to just in your seat text somebody and ask for forgiveness or call them or whatever it is, make sure there's nothing wrong between you and others in this place. And so I just want to give us a few minutes to bow your heads and close your eyes. Be with God in this moment. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer and we will partake of communion together. And so as you're in your seat, I'm just going to lead us in a prayer. And these can be your words. Um, if you choose, you can follow along with them as you will. But let, let us pray. Father, we love you. We are so unbelievably grateful and thankful for the gift of your son in our lives. God, we ask for your peace in this moment. And Lord, whatever we confess, whatever it is that has brought separation between you and us, whether known or unknown, 
even the things that we have done that we do not know that were done wrong, Lord, we confess that we lay that at your feet and we thank you, Jesus, that you picked it up and took it to the cross for us. God, today, this is a victory meal where we remember the great sacrifice that you made on our behalf to forgive us so that we may know you and to be saved. God, I love you in your holy and precious name. And everyone said, amen. So on the night of Jesus' betrayal, Jesus was eating with his friends and he took a loaf of bread and he took that bread and he broke that bread and he said, this bread represents my body, which is given for you for the punishment of sin. Eat it in remembrance of me so you may eat. And after they had all eaten and partaken of the bread, Jesus took a glass of wine and he blessed it. And he said, this wine represents my blood, which is spilt for you for the forgiveness of sins. And so now you may drink in remembrance of Christ. And so church, as we end this morning together, we're about to go have Super Soaker Sunday. I know it's so fun and all of these things. Please, please, please do not let this moment pass you. Remember what happened in this place and what the Lord said to you. And maybe you need to remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. That even if our hearts condemn us, Jesus does not. And he is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So go and live in peace today. Let me pray for us and we'll get out of here and enjoy some fun day there. God, we love you. Thank you again for this day and this time together. Lord, I ask that now we have been revealed such great truth and such great freedom in you. I pray that each one of us would live that way. That the joy of the Lord and the joy of our salvation would be part of our conversations and part of our life. And Lord, that we would be your people in this world. And God, I pray that even tonight as we sleep, there is no 3 a.m. wake up. There's no wake up of remembrance of the things that had gone wrong, that we would live in the beauty and the grace and the light of you. God, thank you for such an incredible gift to us. We love you. We serve you. We honor you today. Amen.